Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hello, welcome to World Weekly with me and Sylvain Chassani. In the show this week, we'll be looking at Interpol, the global police body that has elected its new chief. Usually it's a rather discreet affair, but the international institution has been in the spotlight and the subject of much controversy in the past week after his president, or rather his former president, Meng Hongwei, vanished after landing in China. It appeared that he had been detained by Chinese authorities on suspected corruption. And the Lyon-based institution was quite passive about it. It accepted its resignation without doing much fuss about it. And then it appeared that Russian Interpol VP Alexander Prokopchuk was the frontrunner for replacing him, which also caused a bit of a stir. Joining me on the line to discuss all of this from Moscow is Henry Foy, the FT's Moscow bureau chief, and on the line from Brussels, Michael Peel, our diplomatic editor. Michael, everybody thought that Alexander Prokopchuk was going to be elected, but that didn't happen. Can you explain why this hasn't been the case and why it caused such a stir? It was a story, Ansel, then, that broke quite late in that Interpol had its General Assembly in Dubai where this was coming up. And it was really just in the days before that uh, attention focused on the fact that there were there were really only two candidates who had a chance, the Russian nominee, uh, as you say, and Kim Jong-yang, who is another, also a vice president of, of Interpol uh, from South Korea. And it really came to a head 24 hours or so before the vote when suddenly Western countries led by the U.S., and the UK mounted a very explicit campaign to get Mr. Kim, the South Korean candidate, elected and to thwart the uh, Russian candidate. The Russians responded by saying that this was an unwarranted attempt to intervene in the election. So it all got pretty bitter and turned into a kind of proxy for, for much bigger geopolitical struggles. And in the end, Mr. Kim, the South Korean candidate, came out triumphant. I think that uh, you know it'll be an interesting question to sort of go back and, and look at exactly why that happened. But there was clearly lobbying and quite intense lobbying going on in the hours and days before the vote. How do you explain that there was such a backlash? Why people were worried all of a sudden that a Russian executive would take over the presidency of this institution? Well, the point about Interpol is that the candidates are standing as nominees of their governments. And what Mr. Prokopchuk's candidacy uh, from Russia really brought to a head was a much bigger battle over the soul of Interpol, if you like, that there's a constituency of critics, which includes some in Western governments, but also include rights groups and, and others who say that the global police body is being manipulated by authoritarian states, including Russia. In other words, the Those states have worked out that it's a very useful tool because it's a global hub for information exchange. And so countries can apply to have arrest warrants issued by so-called red notices, or they can go even more directly and send out so-called diffusion orders directly to Interpol members to ask for people they want to target to be arrested. And obviously, this has many legitimate uses, and nobody disagrees that Interpol plays a very important role in 
breaking up big drugs networks, paedophile networks, and so forth. But what the critics say is that it is also open to this kind of political abuse and that the number of these uh, requests for Interpol action has soared over the last few years. Some of the Russian dissidents were caught in Interpol controversy, right? Can you give us a few examples of what happened to them? Well, the most high-profile case is probably that of Bill Browder, who is a financier who has become a leading critic of the Kremlin after Sergei Magnitsky, his accountant, was beaten to death in a Russian jail in 2009. This case, Moscow has said that Mr. Browder is wanted for questioning on, on suspicion of involvement in tax evasion, and it added new charges um, in the run-up to this Interpol vote. Mr. Browder says that these are completely trumped up. This is persecution of him, political persecution. And indeed, he was briefly arrested in May in Spain, uh, Bill Browder, um, when he, he was visiting actually to see the top Spanish anti-corruption prosecutor. And on the morning of the meeting, Spanish police officers came to his hotel to arrest him. They suggested that this was because of an Interpol request. Interpol said that Mr. Browder was not wanted in its system. So it appears that what might have happened is that there was a previous Russian request which had been cancelled by Interpol, but that it was still held on the database of some member countries, including Spain. And Mr. Browder says this is an example of why the system doesn't really work in that once a country has put something out, even if it is deemed by Interpol to be a political pursuit and therefore not valid. It's very difficult to erase that request from the databases of the police forces in all Interpol member countries, which now number 194, so almost every country in the world. And Henry, how has this whole affair been perceived in Moscow? And why did that matter so much for Moscow to take over, to take the presidency of this institution? Here, leading up to the vote, that Russia was trying to downplay the West criticism and saying that it was completely unwarranted. Yesterday, the Kremlin said that it was unfortunate that their candidate hadn't triumphed in the election, but that they would continue to work in, inside Interpol, and they saw it as a very important organization. Today, the Russian Foreign Ministry spokesperson, Maria Zakharova, stepped up the response, really. She, she called it an unprecedented disinformation campaign of pressure, slander, and an anti-Russian frenzy by the US in principle against Russia to try to, to lobby other countries. She's called it a gross interference in the internal affairs of an independent international organization, which positions itself as depoliticized. And I think Russia is sort of feeling a little bit hurt by this, that in the last few days, as Michael said, the US, in particular, Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State, came out and declared his support for the South Korean candidate, which is not standard procedure for countries to endorse other candidates like that. This plays into a much bigger story, though, which is about Russian perception of itself in world affairs. They see themselves still as a major global player and a country that should be allowed to throw its weight around an organization such as Interpol. We've seen the way that they responded to Donald Trump's decision to withdraw from the INF Treaty in much the same way, Russia being a little upset, its ego bruised that other countries don't see it anymore as a major global player and don't trust it, if you like, to handle organizations such as Interpol. And Moscow has also criticized the Western countries for abusing the institution, right? They've criticized the role of the UK in chasing after the two Russian suspects in the poisoning attempt in the UK. 
That's correct. I mean, as Michael was saying, there's been a lot of controversy over these so-called red notices and the idea that Russia, and in particular Russia over the last decade, but increasingly over the last five years or so with Mr. Prokopchuk as the, the head of Russia's Interpol office, stepping up this campaign of red notices to try to put pressure on Russian dissidents and people that the Kremlin considered to be enemies of the state. And in response to the Western criticism of them, Moscow said, well, you guys do it too. You're going after people in our country. And, and you're using Interpol in a political way to try to reach your ends. I mean, this is probably a struggle that's going to continue way past this election. This will not be the end of it. How Interpol restructures itself or looks into these red notices and how countries can abuse or use the system, it, I think is a, is a, it's a much deeper question. And, and, and I think in many ways this, this election has opened the lid a little bit on how this organization works. Exactly. So, I mean, this new South Korean president, Kim Jong, uh, do we know a little bit more about him? And Michael, what are going to be the challenges he's going to be facing? I mean, presumably the whole credibility of the institution is, is at stake now. I think that's right. And it's absolutely right to say that the election is really a microcosm of, of a much bigger challenge facing Interpol. And it's always been based on the idea of good faith um, cooperation between nations, which still stands in cases, for example, earlier this year, where Russia cooperated with Belgium to get the alleged leader of a big drugs cartel uh, extradited to Moscow. And, you know, that was an example of cooperation in a legitimate criminal case. But clearly, there is this massive political dimension. It's fed by other geopolitical rivalries between Russia and Western countries. And Interpol needs to work out how it's going to handle that. I mean, their response so far is, well, we are forbidden by our constitution to politicize anything that we do, which in a narrow sense is true. But of course, it's probably not enough given the sort of gravity of what's going on. And of course, as you mentioned in your intro, there's also the mysterious case of why this election was necessary at all, which was that the previous Chinese president had disappeared on a, a trip to China and the Chinese authorities withdrew his Interpol accreditation and, and said that he was under investigation for corruption since when nothing has really been heard about his case. So again, that has also sort of highlighted some of these concerns. There's also a question about a lot of lawyers and others say about the, the transparency and nimbleness of, of Interpol's procedures. And a very good example of that is the so-called Commission for the Control of Interpol's Files, which is this quasi-independent body, which basically, if people have complaints about a red notice that they think has been issued wrongly against them, or they think Interpol holds inaccurate data, the way they challenge that is by going through this commission. But this commission, lawyers say, is pretty slow in the way that it works. Indeed, if you look at the website, it says that in order to bring a challenge to this commission, you have to do it by post to uh, Lyon, which is where Interpol is based. And it seems, you know, on the face of it, quite surprising that in 2018, that the requirement is to deliver the challenge by post, particularly when some of these events are taking place in real time, that people, that arrest warrants could be enacted within hours, either by national law enforcement authorities who know that someone is in their country, or indeed, if that person is traveling whenever they cross a border. So in other words, the kind of pursuits of suspects that Interpol Interpol can help with are often in real time, and yet the processes just don't see the, the oversight and the checks and balances just don't seem designed to cope with that. Interpol says that it started some reforms and will continue to do so. It insists that it's addressing this, and I think that will be the big test now people will be looking at going forward. 
do you think there's a real willingness to reform Interpol from its members? In a way, it's it suits them all, right? You have a pretty loose and far-reaching organization, you know, that can help them chase whoever they think is criminal and, and escape the country. I think that's a very interesting point that, um, you know, rather like the United Nations, you have an organization in which all or almost all of the world's countries are members. There are clearly going to be all kinds of frictions and disputes and factions and interests and so forth. Um, and I think that what Interpol needs to do and its members in their own interests is to perhaps try to separate out a bit and treat as two almost discrete questions. Well, number one, there's the, the political disputes that we've talked about and let's, you know, put those to one side at the moment, but then let's make sure that because of these political disputes, we don't destroy the very valuable and legitimate law enforcement cooperation that uh, everyone on, on all sides agrees that Interpol helps with. And, you know, it will be a terrible indictment if the results of these disputes kind of pulling uh, Interpol apart was that drug dealers and, and paedophiles and, and, and other criminals were more able to get away with their crimes. Well, that's really well summed up. I and mean, I guess the basic question is really, can this institution work at a time of rising geopolitical tensions? Thank you so much, Michael and Henry. And that's it for this week. Till next week. Goodbye. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.